sind ja beide so voll entspannt. Also ich bin entspannt, du bist entspannt. Und, ja. Was? Was? Was ist da? Also wo, wo, wo guckst du gerade hin? Was meinst du? Ich, ich guck dich an. Hey, it's Nadine, and welcome back to In Her Lens and the In Conversation Hundefreund special. This episode is part two of my conversation with director Maiseli Hedheb about her short film Hundefreund, which is right now screening at Tribeca Film Festival. If you haven't tuned into the first part, go and do that now and then come right back. In part two of our conversation, Maisa opens up about some of her processes and steps ahead of getting on a set. We talk about the beast of imposter syndrome, where it comes from, how we've been taught it, how you have to allow yourself to learn, but also trust what you already know. Maisa talks about the relationship between herself, the director, the director of photography or the cinematographer, and the AD, the assistant director, and how, in the case of Hundefreund, they streamlined that communication. We touch on the process they had in the editing room, the current state of German film, and finally, Maisa shares the professional and personal lessons that she's learned in the making of Hundefreund. So, without further ado, let's get back into it. We talked a little bit about the writing process, we talked a little bit about... Uh, the influences, building the team. What are other processes before you get on set that are unique to you or that you find really important as a director? Well, I mean, me personally, what I do a lot is um, before, like uh, pre-production or during production or whatever, is like I watch a lot of um, Hollywood Reporter roundtable, mm. <laughs> um, like other directors and, or like other actors um, just to see and learn. Um, to learn from like what actors want or how they want to be talked to and like what they appreciate um, or what directors like our directors talking about their first experiences on set because I was so nervous in the beginning because like I was really freaking out because it was the first time that I worked with such a big crew right. and um, and money so I felt there was so much pressure because I mean I didn't go to film school so I, re I didn't I all I learned was through um, experience And so these interviews and these um, roundtables really helped me a lot to um, see how established filmmakers talk about their first times as a director. And they say, you will always be nervous and you will always feel under pressure. Um, and it's all about just allowing yourself to make mistakes and to not stick to a plan. And that's really what I learned. And I'm also not much of a planner, really. Or I tried not to be too strict with myself. I love when things, when I go on set and... I have this idea in mind, but I also know it could also be that the idea changes. It could also be that in that moment, I don't know, the camera's already set and we don't have much time and now we have to shoot it from this perspective mm -hmm. um, that I, I'm happy that I can be that as relax, this relaxed so I can easily adapt. And um, I think that might be one of my best qualities. I'm very adapting mm -hmm. um, and I can, and I just try to make every bad situation a good one and it, most of the time works works out yeah. and it helps me also to stay sane and not because I know when I'm stressed I can be also maybe I don't know get angry or aggressive or whatever so um that really helped me a lot in general to just be like yeah it might as well not work out as I planned 
Mm. And that's why maybe I don't plan too much and I just see what happens on set. Mm. Um, and what else helps me is like to, or at least that's what I did a lot at Hundefreund is like to put some music on mm. um, in, um, in the apartment where we were all eating or like meeting in the beginning and just dance and ask everyone to dance with me. And that just helped me to like get my stress out and just like vibe with everyone around me and also to wake up because it was very early in the morning. So we were listening to some 2000s yeah. trance techno or I love it. Titanic. Also, uh, thank you for her saying that also about being nervous and having, uh, feeling the pressure because it's such a big thing, especially when money is involved, but in general, because mm -hmm. it's a very vulnerable career. Um, yeah. You, as a director, you have a lot of pressure on your shoulders. People look to you. And I feel like we really have to normalize the pressure that comes with that yeah. and that it's okay to, to be nervous and that can feed your work. It can also sometimes get in the way, but that's mm -hmm. also what makes us all human and what eventually um, is, is the process, right? Because you have to love the process as much as the end final product. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I also I love this dancing idea and like getting into your body. I think that that's so important. Yeah, that helped me a lot. And like, yeah, and especially trusting my body too, because there were so many moments because I felt so insecure in the especially the first two shooting days. I like, I felt so insecure because I was like, oh my God, is this, this is the right thing to do? Is this a good shot? Or like, I'm thinking like, or like sometimes, yeah, I would like think of something and then other people would throw in the ideas because I created this atmosphere that everyone can like give their feedback or like, right if they have a great idea, they should tell me, like, I really wanted to create this atmosphere that like, this is our film and not just my film. And I, I really also like the input of other people because sometimes maybe I don't see, or like, I, I wouldn't come up with it. So I'm really happy that people come up with ideas, but often, and especially in the beginning, I was, if I had an idea and someone would disagree with it, in the beginning, I would just be like, mm, yeah, okay, you're right. And I would just dismiss my own idea. And it took me literally two days to learn to be like, no, actually, I like this idea. And I know there's a lot of voices right now in my head because everyone would tell me different opinions. And I was like, no, but I'm the director. And that's what I have to learn is like, I stick to my gut and to my idea. And like, I gladly take in ideas, but like in the end, I have to make the decision. And luckily I learned that on the second day, but like the first day was definitely super chaotic um, for myself and like, To, to make a decision was so hard because I just felt like, oh my God, what if I'm not a director and maybe I'm not good enough and maybe they're right. And, and what I learned is like in the end, in the editing room, I noticed all the ideas that I just like not fought for, but like stick to, mm -hmm. even though I had this feeling of like, maybe I shouldn't was worth it. And yet I was like, I'm so happy I did that. And that's what I learned, to trust your guts. If you feel like this is right, it's right. In the end, it's your vision and mm -hmm. you should trust in your own vision. Yeah, 100%. And I read a really interesting article the other day about imposter syndrome, about mm -hmm. the wording of imposter syndrome and how it affects uh, white women, but, but women of color very differently and 100% a systematic way of also the way that we're talking about imposter mm -hmm. syndrome. Like, oh, I have imposter syndrome because I didn't do this thing or I am new to this space or I um, am self-sabotaging myself. But it's actually an outside input put on you that you are then, that's so normalized and that we're like, oh yeah, imposter syndrome, it must, I must have this. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I must be struggling with my place in these spaces because I don't physically see myself belonging there or I don't have any proof that I belong there, etc. Yeah. But it is 1000% something that is the outside on you rather than the inside out. And exactly. so that coming back to the gut and the vision, that's the mm-hmm. inside coming out. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there were so many moments while I was on set. Um, that's where like, where I was thinking like, oh my God, maybe these film schools were right. Because then at some point you start thinking like, I mean, I got rejected for a reason. Maybe I'm not actually good enough. And and all of a sudden you just start panicking in your head. And like, I had to really sit myself down and be like, wait, this is literally imposter syndrome and you have to get out of this right now. And like, just believe in your guts and believe in the team that you have created. And that's why I was honestly so happy that like this team was mostly BPOC because I felt like there was no power dynamic really or like, you know, like, I mean, there's always some kind of power dynamic, but like, I always feel like if I'm on set with just mostly white and especially male, I like that. That's when my imposter syndrome is completely acting up. But I, I was really happy that I felt like most in our team had the same feeling. And and we oftentimes would sit at lunch and everyone is like, oh, my God, am I doing it right? Oh, my God. Um, I don't know if I'm like, you know, everyone was like talking about insecurities, which made everyone feel more comfortable and confident yeah. in the end. That's really such a testament to who you are as a director and creating that safe space. Apart from that kind of conversation, you also had an intimacy coordinator. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about your relationship with uh, with Carmen, who is also the AD, and mm-hmm. how you worked on on keeping it a safe space? Yeah, I mean, Carmen is just like such a beautiful person. I feel like everyone who meets Carmen just immediately feels comfortable because she just um, creates this kind of room where... Yeah, you kind of yeah, you feel safe in a way, and um, she, and she was really good at like um, at the intimacy coordination with Till and Lamine, and she really took her time to make sure that everyone is comfortable and like um, playing some kind of games. I think it's called. I don't know if it's a game, but like exercises exactly some trust exercises um, to make them feel comfortable and also to make me feel comfortable asking for certain things um, during the sex scene specifically. Um, and Carmen was, yeah, in the end, Carmen was more like not only an intimacy coordinator and first AD, but she was kind of like in a person that most people could go to when something was, you know, lacking or when people didn't feel comfortable. Like she was kind of like, um, the big sister Mm. who you would go to to feel comfortable in a way, because also in the beginning, Carmen was supposed to be our gaffer or like she applied for the role as a gaffer. And I remember the interview because when she talked about gaffing, it wasn't so passionate. Like <laughs> she just talked about it like it's an interview, but like, and then we were like, oh, but you also did first AD before. And it's, and I'm so happy we did that because Carmen did an amazing job um, because she's a filmmaker herself. Um, and she's a, such a great organiza- organizer. Um, yeah, so I'm really happy we got her. And I'm happy we then found um, Richard, who just came. For the interview after and he was passionate about gaffing he mm-hmm. could not stop talking about lights <laughs> what advices do you have for other directors in the communication between you and the ad and the you the ad and the dop because i feel like that's like a communication that happens on set that is very unique mm-hmm. and very important because it is the creation of the image what advice do you have to give about that mm, yeah i think to meet um to meet um to meet together more often, like the mm. three of you, because um, our we we had like some challenges in the first two days, or especially the first day, because 
we did not know who communicates with who, but we knew that, like, for instance, I would communicate something to the DOP and then forget to talk about it to Carmen. And then Carmen would go to the DOP and be like, hey, but this was not as planned. And then, so, I mean, like, I feel right. like it was kind of like, sometimes you didn't know, the, or at least I did not know um, how to um, structure our com communication. And I felt like, we should definitely, and that's what we then did for the next few days. We sat together every morning before we start shooting and we were like, okay, so this is what we're going to change. And if you have questions, you talk to her directly. She does talk to me and to just create like this kind of communication uh, triangle. Um, yeah. And so I would, my advice would be to, to sit with the DOP and the AD together before every shooting day. And also just um, during the, um, not storyboarding the shot shot listing I think yeah I personally did not know how it works I did not know if the during the shot list if the ID had to be there or not so that's what I learned and what I learned personally and I'm pretty sure people do it differently is like I would like to do it with the DOP and the AD together right right and also to just get to know each other I mean yeah that communication is so vital right because I feel like that is always something that you never and you can only prep for that much especially on sets like this but there are like certain communication kinks that um, you can never know until it happens. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think that's why it's important to know who to speak to first. And so, yeah, sense. exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are some beautiful Easter eggs. Uh, I spoke with Joan about some of the elements that got put into the sets. Um, what was for you a really fun part about dressing up your apartment apart from the wa amazing wallpaper and such a great <laughs> choice? Um, and that as a director, you were like, cause there's a lot of reflection moments using mirrors, uh, using mm. eyes, things like that. Uh, what were, don't tell us the Easter eggs, but what was fun about putting Easter eggs in there? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I had so much fun doing that with Joan, thinking about like the little hints that you can see when you watch the film and you can only most of the time see it if you look at it twice. Um, mm -hmm. It's like very subtle. Um, yeah, so like, I mean, there's like one main reference that I'm not going to name because I hopefully like people notice. The film had a lot of Easter eggs, like also in terms of film references in general and then film references that reference our film mm -hmm. and and our dialogues in a way and that was a lot of fun because I feel like you can only really notice it if you look at the film twice and I'm not sure if a lot of people that saw it already noticed I actually should ask um but like I think yeah we we personally had a lot of time uh, a lot of fun doing it because we would always just giggle um while doing it because hoping like if someone would notice it I heard there were a lot of edits that you went through. Uh, in the beginning, it started off you and the editor. Will you tell us a little bit about the unique relationship that exists between a director and editor? Because, argumentatively, an editor creates the film. They're part, obviously, the director is there, but the film is made in the editing room. So, tell us a little bit about what happened in that room and how you changed and grew as a director as well, looking back at the footage and then shaping it. Yeah. Um, first of all, like, great props to um, Sand. Sand is such a talented um, filmmaker and editor and also probably the quickest editor I've ever met in my life. Um, I mean, we finished the film and then two days later, we already had the first cut, um, mm -hmm. which is just amazing. And then within that week, we already had 10 cuts. Um, so the, the editing process was definitely intense. Um, I mean, not only sitting in a room for like 10 hours, but also because 
you have to be so you have to be so detail oriented and i'm so happy i sound um is detail oriented and um saw things that sometimes i wouldn't see um and that's why i think it's so important to be with two people or sometimes even more people in the room or at least towards the end so we started with just me and sound and then towards the end silas joined um to like give feedback to the version that they saw and I would say Sun definitely made the film. Like I was surprised because in my head the film looked sometimes a bit different. Mm. Or in the beginning it looked completely different. And then when Sun put it together, I was really happy about the um the narrative that was then created. Because I, I also felt like we both had different version like different ideas of the film in the beginning. Um mm. for because for Sun sometimes the film was too fast it was too fast paced um and i liked it fast paced and they liked it more slower um so i really liked because sound is a director too so that was like really funny and there was definitely a moment when we were like okay how can we find the middle and and again like i also had to you know be consequent in what i see and in the end that really worked out and like i would propose things to sound that maybe sound didn't agree with and then they would actually be happy about it towards the end and the other way around sometimes sound would really right. push for something and I was like I don't see it and then in the end I saw it so I, I was really happy that we both trusted each other's guts and our own right. and that we found like a middle ground and then to also get a third perspective of like Silish and also towards the end Lamine um, it was definitely a fun and a long process um, yeah but yeah I had a lot of time there um, you know, independent filmmaking, uh, you have an idea, you, you, uh, you talk about it, you figure it out, you write a story, you write a script, you shoot it, it comes to a screen, you're in the edit room, then it screens, then you're in interviews like this one right here. Um, what are you noticing for yourself as an artist and as a director that's coming up? And how are you navigating this both personal journey and professional journey? I mean, what I like, I think the biggest takeaway from that was to listen to my instincts more and trust my guts and go with it. And um, it's okay to say no. Mm. Like, people won't hate you after yeah. that. And that's definitely my biggest takeaway. Um, and again, also how important, how like film, because sometimes I think it's kind of unfair how much the directors always put on a spotlight in many movies. Um, because the film would, I mean, yeah, everyone knows the film would be nothing without a crew. But, like, I feel like the directing is kind of, it is an important job. But I feel like there's so many, like, the DOP, the editor, um, they play such a more important role in the whole filmmaking process. Mm. And don't get credited enough and don't get acknowledged enough in the film industry. Um that's definitely something I noticed, not with this project, but just in general. What I noticed, like emotionally, for sure, is that I became more confident um, that I am a good filmmaker because the whole time I didn't have to, I didn't have a lot of chances to prove that I am. Mm -hmm. I always knew all I want to do and all I can do is film, but I never had that much. And no one put that much trust in me to give me that money to actually prove to someone that I am a good filmmaker. So this really helped with my confidence a lot. Um, and I feel like it's helping me like kind of open doors for me. Mm. Um, I definitely realized that I'm not an intellectual. <laughs> I'm an entertainer because sometimes I just like things because I like them and because I think they're stunning and I don't have a deeper meaning for that. 
And what I notice a lot is like sometimes people just ask you questions like, why did you, I don't know, choose this shot in that angle? And why did you choose this lens? Whatever. And I, all I can say is like, because I loved it and it looked great. And I, and, and, and maybe it reminded me of something or this shot just like gives me um, like referencing another film that I really like and that fits to the story. But I don't have a metaphorical meaning for everything. Mm-hmm. I do have it for something, but I, I, I never will be the filmmaker who's going to give like a really deep and philosophical answer to every little question. Um, <laughs> and that's okay because I think as sometimes the film industry can be so pretentious and sometimes I feel like people just say things to sound smart and <laughs> and they don't actually, yeah, I don't know. And it's great for them. You know, maybe I'm just jealous because I can't, <laughs> can't talk so well. Um, and I'm definitely learning also how to speak because now I'm noticing like I'm doing interviews and I'm my head is just so chaotic that I just sometimes lose my thought and another thing I noticed is that because I have ADHD so I I'm really bad at concentrating in general um so it takes me really long to finish a script or even finish a script and or to just sit down and do something but when it comes to filmmaking and especially being on set that's the only time I feel like my brain is actually functioning like a normal person. All of a sudden, all the little brain pieces are on alert and all of them are working. And I felt like that's how probably every normal person feels on a day to day. But for me, I just become this different person. I just become like, I have no ADHD anymore. And that's why I know it's like, that's my passion. And that's why all my brain cells are activated at that point. And that's why I know that there's just, nothing else I really want to do and can do and and there's oh there was always the question if I want to go back on medication as well but now I know and it proved me that I don't want to be on medication because I don't actually need medication if I'm just doing what I love and if I'm and in yeah, the environment that feeds who how exactly you work. right exactly right. and yeah. that's what I heard a lot from people on set that they were like wow you're so different when you're on set <laughs> I was like, I know because I'm finally normal. <laughs> this kind of feeds into it. What practices do you have in place personally um, to protect yourself, your soul as a human, whilst you are doing work that is intense, um, especially subject matter um, of what this film is about? It's intimate. It's about racism and biases and queer relationships and the BIPOC perspective. What there's boundaries that are set by the industry that you are pushing and bending and interrogating. But in that, that is also a lot of hard work. So what are the practices that you have in place to kind of protect yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, What I learned, what really helps with that is like to surround myself with people I love, like to be around people where our topics are not negative always and where it's not about us fighting the system or whatever and just having a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, And also being alone. Like I, I like to spend most of my days alone and just writing or watching movies or love is blind or some reality tv show just something that like completely distracts me mm-hmm. from this world that can be so negative um so usually and that's also what i did a lot in pre-production is like whenever we ha- were working i went home and watched um either a really nice calm movie like abba's kills mati or eric Roma, something like slow and kind of peaceful or like a really dumb reality tv show i think i was binging real house of beverly hills that time too 
so that really helps because it just you can just disconnect from this intensity of like our lives basically and i try to do just a lot of um, exercise i try to do yoga in the morning um when i can and and for my nerves i just listen to the quran every morning just to calm my nerves in a way and feel protected spiritually mm -hmm. um what place do you see cinema has in our world today in our communities today where do you see that it's at right now in general or in germany maybe in germany we can talk about it in general but you are in germany so where you are at mm -hmm. i think um german cinema has definitely reached its lowest point from my opinion um, there's not many great films coming out. Um, it's very repetitive. Um, and that's the reason I think a lot of people don't go to the cinema or like watch German films in general. Um, but also I think we are on the brink of like a cultural revolution in some way, because I see filmmakers, like I see, I mean, there's like one film or two films that came out last year, one by, by a black director and one by another director of color that were really huge and that were apparent. I haven't seen both of them yet, but I see that like there's feature films of this caliber being produced. So there is like this kind of hope that there is something happening and that these films will prove again that like we are worth of telling our stories and that hopefully Germany will recognize that they can't continue repeating the same kind of narratives over and over again. Also economically, because I wonder how German industry is even sustaining itself because it's not like they're creating blockbuster hits or it's the only, there's like no good content where I feel like, I think the only thing they are economically stable with is like our national TV, right? what we are paying for. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Germany slowly re realizing this. And I noticed that with some production companies too, that they asked me to join, even though I have no prior experience to writing for TV, but they they would say and that, that was really nice and like kind of hopeful because they said we want to highlight new storytellers that don't have a film degree and i was like that's that's kind of like interesting because that this usually doesn't happen in germany you can't really get into the industry without um a school degree a film school degree and so therefore i have this little hope still there but mm -hmm. yeah what are you interested in exploring next? Where do you see the next steps for you? Apart from your incredible acceptance at AFI in America, mm -hmm. um, what is your next, uh, yeah, what is your next adventure? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm super excited to like have people, first of all, see the film. I think nothing makes me happier to see people's reactions, um, especially from our community. Um, and yeah, my next steps are, yeah, I'm, gonna study I'm gonna do my master's in the states um which is also um, a big opportunity for me because um, I got rejected from film all film schools in Germany um including two telling me I have no artistic talent um so really? I mean their loss <laughs> so hard. yeah that's what I'm thinking too it's gonna be like Rainer Werner Fassbender you know he's gonna <laughs> be successful somewhere else without them they're gonna kick themselves Exactly. That's what I'm actually hoping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and and I'm going to um, start, um, we're going to direct like a documentary for our na national TV. And it's going to be about Ramadan. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to do that because it's going to be kind of my first work as a director for national TV. 
Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. And also because I really like the topic because German documentaries in in a in state like national TV is usually stereotyped and it's always the same thing every day if you would watch the TV. And I'm not lying. Every day there's a, a program about either clan criminality, about like the Lebanese mafia, the Palestinian mafia, or like the hijab and just like all these negative like stereotypes so I'm really happy that like this program decided to do something beautiful and it's like about the celebration of um the Ramadan um and so I'm super excited to do that and awesome. yeah that's kind of my next step for now is this one and then yeah moving away <laughs> so exciting thank you so much for doing this conversation I'm so excited for people to see the film and to get to know your work and to really feel Uh, what I felt when I watched it multiple times, which is the community that you built. And obviously it was a team effort, but um, you are the fearless leader. And I'm really excited for uh, for people to, to see that. Thank you. And it was such a pleasure to have this talk. And I hope I wasn't too confusing. A very big thank you to Misa for making the time and hopping onto Zoom with me. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Holne Freund is currently screening at Tribeca. Misa and the film's co-producers, Silish and Lamin, are attending the screenings as well. As I mentioned last episode, Misa is fundraising for her attendance at NYU as she'll officially be a fellow there come September. I would like to ask you, please go visit her GoFundMe. I linked it for your ease in the episode notes and to donate. I know that I am very much looking forward to the vibrant work she will create overseas. In Conversation, Honda Freund is a special right here on In Her Lens. I'll be back next Wednesday with the German short film's creator Silish Naidu and its writer and star Lamin Leroy Jiba to talk about the writing, funding and producing of this film, as well as how Lamin juggled the hats of producer, screenwriter and lead actor. So you don't want to miss it. I'm grateful that you joined us. See you next week. Cheers. Bye.